It is so good to be home with all of you. So good to be home with all of you. Um, I've, I have been in some different states and some different countries. And I'm just going to say this. There's nothing like pulling into Terre Haute, Indiana. There's just nothing like it. There's, um, there's a peace that's here. There's a stillness that's here. And uh, there's also my husband that's here. That helps. Lesson one, the knowledge project. We are going to be starting a series tonight called Go. Can you look at your neighbor and say go? I don't mean to cause any marriage problems. Um, That is not a command tonight. Down south, we spell go G-E-A-U-X, but we will just spell it the normal American way Tonight, go. That's what we're going to be talking about. And this lesson, number one, is on revival. The key verse that we're going to be um, digging through is this. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world, everyone say all, and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16 and 15. I had it in my notes to look at the Greek of what creature meant. But um, I'm a dog lover. And whenever I was young and I felt a call to preach, I would line up my stuffed animals and I would preach to them. But I don't know if that constitutes as a creature or not. But for tonight, we will just safely assume that that's all humans. That is a command. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Spiritual revival means spiritual awakening. That's what that actually means. The church is mandated by scripture to continually stay awake spiritually. However, before the corporate church can be spiritually awake, individuals must experience personal awakening. Achieving personal and corporate spiritual revival is necessary for the survival of the church. This is, this is a topic that I'm, I'm very passionate about, and this is a lesson that could go very, very long. I will try and keep it as brief as possible but there's, there's all kinds of things we could talk about whenever it comes to revival, personal revival, and corporate revival. The word revival does not appear at all in the New Testament. Spoiler alert. Neither do the words revive or quicken. It doesn't really show up, and it doesn't even refer to the connotation of revival that we think when we hear of the word today. Revival is a modern word used for a very biblical New Testament concept. Some people get super crunchy about this. Um, They say, well, I'm not going to follow anything if it ain't in the Bible, bless God. You know, and they say things like, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, if you want to go with that argument, the word oneness isn't in the Bible either. Or hygiene. But both of those things are great ideas. Amen. So the concept of revival, as it is not named specifically in the New Testament, the concept is very much there, and we have tons of scripture to prove that. So what is revival? The definition of revival on your blanks is a spiritual awakening. A spiritual awakening. Del Finzenfield Jr. said this, Revival awakens in our hearts an increased awareness of the presence of God, a new love for God, a new hatred for sin, and a hunger for his word. 
One of my favorite quotes about revival is from Vance Havner. He said, revival is simply falling in love with Jesus over and over and over and over again. I like that definition a lot. Ephesians 5 and 14 says this, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Talking about a spiritual awakening. That's what revival is. The North American definition of revival, and some of you may even know this, is um, church every night. You guys know what I'm, I'm talking about? Have you experienced that kind of revival? I was 12 years old whenever the church I was attending experienced a revival that was church every night. And we had church every night for about two months. And it was in between my age of 11 and when I was turning 12. I was not very spiritual at 11 years old. I was very carnal. And I did not want to spend my 12th birthday in church. I did not want to do that. But my mom, in all of her wisdom sat me down and told me, Kendra, this is something special. We are in revival. You should be honored that you get to spend your birthday in church. So I repented that night, of course, you know, and then later she, she had pizza and cake at the house, and it was, it, was, it was good. That American and North American definition of revival is not the revival that we're talking about. Sure, that is an effect of what revival is, but that's not specifically the revival that we're talking about. We're talking about being awakened from our sleep. We'll talk a little bit more about that for a second. 1 Corinthians 15.34 says this, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. I'm going to read that verse again because... For some reason, sometimes whenever I read the Bible, I'm like, have I ever read this book before? I have never seen that verse. And that was, this is one of those verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Basically, what Paul was saying was, for the sake of a lost and dying world, please wake up. Please, for the sake of a lost and dying world, please, please wake up. The next blank that you'll have on your paper, it says this. It is part of the cycle of human nature to become complacent in our physical, emotional, and spiritual lives. It is part of the cycle of human nature to become complacent in our physical, emotional, and spiritual lives. Romans 13 and 11 says this. I love this scripture. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time. That, that sounds super southern. That sounds like some of my church mothers in the south. It's high time, he said, to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now, it would be very easy to look at this scripture and, and just look at the reprimand here. You know, of, of wake up, wake up. Here's the reality. Sleep is necessary. If you don't know that, you will. Sleep is necessary. It's very necessary. As a teenager, I did not think that it was necessary. I prided myself in being able to go like three and four hours, you know, a week at some youth camps of just of no sleep, just Red Bull on top of Red Bull on top of, you know, and then 
whenever, whenever I started growing up in college, it switched to coffee. And then my 20s, I was like, oh, wow, something's shifting here. In 30s, uh-uh, no, it is seven to eight hours a night in Jesus' name. And I will protect that at all costs. Every human body needs sleep. I'm not a mother yet, but I have heard that mothers can do an unbelievable amount of work. Very, very tired, especially mothers of newborns. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how, how uh, much work I can accomplish that tired. However, at some point, every human body needs sleep. So we cannot curse ourselves for not being in a constant state of revival because the human body was not made for it. The human body was not made for a supernatural high all of the time. If this would have been possible, then Moses would have lived on top of that mountaintop. He would have lived on top of the mountaintop. This is something that's been hard for me personally to to understand. As humans, we were not made to live solely on mountaintop experiences alone. We will never know the faithfulness of God in the valleys if we live on mountaintop experiences alone. That is why we are in such danger of of whenever we have um, special speakers. I thank God for whenever we have special speakers and prophets in the fivefold ministry that that comes through. But there's a pattern with people that only chase after those mountaintop experiences. And eventually, at some point, because we are human and we are not glorified beings, there will be a crash. There will be a sleep cycle that will happen. This is just natural. So if sleep is natural... And if being complacent in our lives is just going to happen, then what should happen? Revival. Revival should be regular. We should be revived out of this sleep cycle, out of this spiritual sleep cycle regularly. Revival should be regular. And we must have enough humility and wisdom to know when it's time to wake up. That's tough. That is, that is so tough. I'll tell you when that's the toughest for me, your girl, personally, Sunday afternoons. It's, it's so tough. There's nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap. I don't care who you are. There's nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap. Nothing. And I can tell you, and, and I'm sure that I'm not alone, I can tell you when I've slept too much. It just seems like everything is upside down. It, it, everything is, it, is just odd when you know that you've slept too much. There are times, I'm actually experiencing this right now. I'm having extreme jet lag. And I'm setting my alarm every day for incrementally just 30 minutes earlier every single day because I'm forcing myself, I'm trying to exercise wisdom and maturity of when to wake up, of when to get back on the right schedule. Spiritually, we have to do this. We, we cannot fall into this pattern of shame that we are in a state of sleep. We have to accept that this is the cycle, but we have to use and exercise wisdom and humility of when to wake up. We must do this. So letter B, how do we experience personal revival? Although many references to revival speak of the church as a whole, revival begins in individuals. Revival begins in individuals. There's a quote that I like. It's, it's in your book. It's by Graham Cook. He said, he is not seeking a powerful people to represent him. Rather, he looks for all those who are weak, foolish, despised, and written off. And he inhabits them with his own strength. 
So number one, how do, how do we experience a personal revival? Number one, personal revival begins with prayer. Personal revival begins with prayer. I'm going to, I'm going to, um, I, there's no academy students in here. So I pray that they don't listen to the podcast and I'm going to incriminate myself in a horrible way in front of all of you because honesty is good for the soul. It is. As a student, I would go into my syllabus um, where it would, it would say how many points an assignment is worth. And I would add up all of the assignments that I could and I would add them up in a way of, okay, how little do I have to do in order to, I'm hearing some giggles. Can we giggle louder? I would, thank you. I would, I would add up how little do I have to do to get a B? How little do I have to do to get a C? So forth. Okay, now how little do I have to do to pass the class? Like I would, I would, I would, I would get Sister Fo- Dr. Foster, I would get that one assignment I didn't want to do, and I'd say, okay, if I did not do this, where, where would it be? Okay. This was a terrible approach to school. Awful. It reflected in my grades. Thank God the Lord has given me a second chance right now to be in school, and I'm loving it, and I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. However, in our spiritual walks, we cannot afford to take this kind of path. We can't afford to take this kind of path. We cannot afford to to um, observe maybe leaders in the church or people that we highly respect and say, oh, wow, well, it appears that pastor does this and this and this. Well, I don't ever see him doing this, so I guess I, I don't have to do this. We cannot afford to take that kind of approach in our spiritual walks. Whenever I'm talking to students and they, they're talking to me and they're saying, I want to do something great for God. I want to do something great for God so bad. I want to go to Hukamunga and I want to win a thousand people and I want to do that. Okay. And I say, that is amazing. Talk to me about your prayer life and your devotion life. And they're like, well, I, you know, sometimes I forget to read my Bible and then, and then sometimes, you know, it's just I want to pray, but it's like nothing's talking back to me. I know I'm saying students, but that, that carries up sometimes, as we well know. Prayer is just one of those things we're not getting out of. And I don't want to even ever dismiss it as a duty or as something that's just routine maintenance. Although some days it will feel just like routine maintenance. I never want to dismiss it as something that's just a duty. Prayer is the gas in the engine that produces revival to go way, way far down the road. We can't do anything without prayer. We can't do anything without prayer. We can hang this whole thing up without prayer. Without prayer, new life is just a really great nonprofit. Without prayer, New Life Academy is just a really great nonprofit. Without prayer, boy, that's going to be a great building to maybe rent out for weddings and funerals. God, I hope not. Without prayer, we're we're done. We have to do that. Personal revival begins with prayer. We have to pray. Del Fahensfield, wow. You guys have that quote in your on your paper. You can correct me if, if that was wrong. But that, that last name intimidated me a lot. 
Anyway, he said this. Revival, no matter how great or small in its ultimate scope, always begins with individual believers whose hearts are desperate for God and who are willing to pay the price to meet him. Number two, that brings us to our point. Personal revival submits to conviction. Personal revival submits to conviction. Romans 8 and 13 says this, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. We have to get to a point to where when we are in this revival cycle, when we're waking up out of this spiritual sleep cycle, and we're coming back into this revival cycle, we have to get to a point where we realize that conviction is only going to come through prayer. Conviction is only going to come through a weakened flesh and a strong spirit. Conviction is only going to come whenever we prioritize it because personal revival submits to conviction. I will say this, and I I hope that I'm not alone. I had certain convictions whenever I was younger that I'm sure kept me out of a lot of trouble, and I'm thankful for those. As I've grown older, as I have matured a little bit in life, as I've entered into a marriage, the Holy Spirit will convict me of certain things that he's never convicted me before of, and that's okay. It's, it's fine to continually add to. I will say this about conviction. I have certain convictions that maybe, maybe you don't have, Sister Coach Far, and that's fine. That's, this is not a level one, level two. That's not, that's not what this is. You may have a certain conviction that I don't have. I got married and realized that we have different convictions of certain things. There were certain things that I thought was totally cool. And my husband said, oh, no, we're, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Thank God for a pastor who's open about conviction. And he says, hey, you always go with a stronger conviction. I said, okay, okay. And then there, there, there are certain things that, that we've come up against. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't feel right about that. And he's like, okay, that's totally fine. Conviction is a very hard stand against the carnal. But it's a very fluid thing in the spirit. It will change often. And that's okay. It's not a one and done. Thank God our our lives would be boring if so. Number three, personal revival becomes corporate revival. I love this point. I love, love, love this point. Number three, personal revival becomes corporate revival. I love this point. This this is totally exemplified in Acts chapter two. Because I was I was praying about this today and I was looking at, at all of this and I'm like, okay, God, what is, there's so many examples of, of revival in the Bible. There's King Josiah, there's, there's all kind, all kinds of stuff. But what was just so beautiful to me is whenever the Lord highlighted Acts chapter two, every single one of those disciples that were becoming apostles, every single one of them had been with the Lord They had been with the Lord. They watched him ascend. They had been with the Lord. They were all in one accord, one mind, one place, waiting for the Spirit to move. They were all unified. They all had already had a personal 
revival. They had all already had a spiritual awakening. I'm pretty sure that whenever they assumed that Jesus was dead, which was a rightful assumption, whenever they assumed that Jesus was dead, they were all gathered in, they were all hiding together, waiting. They were probably feeling pretty spiritually dead themselves. They were probably feeling pretty spiritually asleep, as I would too, if I was a disciple and then Jesus just died and disappeared. I would feel that way as well. So then they're all gathered in. Then Jesus comes walking through the walls, which there are several Bible stories I want to go back to, but that really is like on, in my top five. I would love to just have a video or a YouTube of what that was like. He comes walking through the walls, talks to them, speaks to them, and then ascends again, okay? This is a prime example of what a personal revival was and is. They were with him. They, they communed with him. Then he leaves, and they've had this personal revival. Now they're waiting for the rest to come, but they are all unified in one place. And suddenly, and suddenly... There was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled not just sections of the house that had a personal revival, all the house that had a personal revival, all of them where they were sitting. And I I venture to say that Pentecost would not have happened if there was not a personal revival first. How powerful is that for us today? How, how powerful is that for us today? Unity brings revival. Unity brings revival. I will just tell you what I tell our girls. I'll tell you what I tell our students. Can you please get over your drama for the sake of all of us? For the sake of revival to come to our youth group? Now, I'm not going to talk like you guys to that because all of you are significantly older than me. I would never dream of talking to you like that, okay? I will just tell you what I tell to our students. And if the Spirit would like for you to just attach that to your, to your spirit, then that's fine. I will not limit the Holy Ghost in this moment. But what I, what I have said to them, can you please grow up for the sake of our city? Can, can, we, please, can we please get over it? For the sake of revival coming to Terre Haute, can we please be unified in order for that to be one of five buildings that we need to build in the next 10 years? Can, can, can we do that? Can we do that? We have to do this for the sake of our city. We, we have to do this for the sake of our city. We have to do this for the sake of our region. We have to do this for the sake of our nation. We have to do this for the sake of our world. We must be unified, but even the unity doesn't come until we experience a personal revival, until we can be humble enough to say, God, I'm a little bit dead. I'm asleep. I've been going through the motions. I'm asleep. Wake me up. Wake me up. Matthew uh, 13, 58, uh, media doesn't have this, and and that's totally fine. It says, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. This is at at the beginning-ish of Jesus' ministry. He was doing all sorts of miracles, all sorts of things, and they just dismissed him as just something that they just knew, you know, they were very familiar with. And so Jesus said, oh, okay, fine, fine, that's fine. I'll leave. I tell our students... If I needed a miracle and their unbelief and their mouthiness and their disunity kept me from my miracle, respectfully, we would scrap. 
respectfully, in the name of Jesus, we would have a very loud conversation outside. For the sake of the miracles that God wants to do, we have to have a personal revival that turns corporate. And it doesn't come, it doesn't come when someone just comes in and says, I declare revival right now. Now, someone can prophesy it into existence, but it still takes full cooperation on our part. We must do this for the sake of our city. We must do this. I'm, I'm going to reread um, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, just one more time to that point. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Terre Haute does not have the knowledge of God. It doesn't. It doesn't. And that will be to our shame if we do not wake up. Okay. Okay. I'm going to keep moving forward because, boy, there's, there's just a lot. Corporate revival happens or occurs when we all have experienced personal revival and we submit to the good of the rest of the body of Christ. So how do we experience corporate revival? How do we do this? Now, I'm going to fill in some blanks, but I, am, I will not be finished after the last blank is filled. I just wanted to, wanted to give that out to you. There, there are some things that we need to be aware of whenever it comes to the enemies of corporate revival. This isn't listed in your notes, but I just listed a big one. Disunity is a massive enemy. That's not your first blank. That's not your first blank. That's, that's just KSV, KSLV. Um, that's just my opinion. Disunity is one of the massive enemies to corporate revival. How do we become aware of this? The church must continually guard against the spirit of the seven churches of Revelation. All of these churches had once known the Spirit of God, but lacked revival. Excuse me, but lack of revival caused them to allow sinful natures and practices to creep into their midst. I'll read this one more time. The church must continually guard against the spirit of the seven churches of Revelation. All of these churches had once known the Spirit of God, but lack of revival caused them to allow sinful natures and practices to creep into their midst. Letter A, and this is, um, I'll, I'll give you the blank and then I'll tell you the church that we're talking about if you would like to note that on the side of this column. Letter A, leaving their first love. Revelation 2, 1 through 7, we're not going to read that media. Um, all, we're not going to read all through that. But this is the church of Ephesus. This was the church of Ephesus. Personal and corporate prayer, fasting, and worship are required to keep our first love alive. It's required. It's required. Any way that I, I'll say I, any way that I added up of like, can I get to heaven if I do this or if I don't do that? No, there's, there's no equation. There's no mathematical anything that will um, subtract or not include these things. Personal and corporate prayer, fasting and worship are required to keep our first love alive. This is why we emphasize weekly fasting, 21-day fasts, um, prayer shifts in the prayer room, and then midweek corporate times of worship. This is why we emphasize this, because the church in Ephesus, no, it wasn't alive in 2022, and no, it didn't have all of the programs that we did 
But even without all of the distractions that we have in 2022, they still left their first love, which means it is increasingly more possible for us to leave our first love in 2022 today. It is. We have to guard against this. We have to. This looks different in everybody's life. I don't want to give out a list of what you should warn against because there's no one more in tune with your own body or your own spirit or your own mind than you. You know what you should, what you should guard yourself against. You know this. I, I won't list it off. It's different for every person in the room. Letter B, fear of the temporal. Fear of the temporal. This was the church of Smyrna. And I don't know if you're supposed to have a favorite of the churches, of the seven churches. I, but I have this odd liking to the church of Smyrna because it received the crown of life. It was the persecuted church. And I was privileged, um, honored, humbled, whatever adjective you want to insert there, um, flattened, I felt, to be with the persecuted church about two weeks ago in Asia. And as I sat down with some of those men and some of those women, we were meeting in a basement. And as I sat down with them, um, <laughs> I, I was listening to them talk, and I was listening to someone from the North American team teach them and teach them doctrine. And uh, the, the main language there, they, they, there weren't many of them that were fluent in English. And so by the time translation got around to me, um, there were just some simple sentences, and, and it, it took a long time. But I saw there was, there was no disrespect in the room, but there was an American teaching, and we were having a meeting with some of these men and these women in this basement. And as, as the American was teaching, there was, there was some conversation going. When, and that's very normal to watch in those scenarios and settings because usually they're translating to each other, you know, or, or they're, they're helping. And, um, but I noticed that it wasn't translation. It was just a full-on conversation. And so I was watching them as they were talking, and then it, it, it circled back around, like, the room to me, and someone leaned over and smirked, and they said, no disrespect to them, to, to the person that was teaching. They leaned over and they said, they're asking within themselves if he's ever been to prison or if he's ever been beaten before. And I said, why? And he, he smiled, the guy that was talking to me, he smiled and he said, because that's a sign of credibility with these men. Because that's the norm of what they go through. That, that's the norm of what they go through. It wasn't that they were dismissing what he was saying. It was just basically like, where's your badge? Where's, where's your badge of Christianity? And the person that was teaching is a very decorated person in the United Pentecostal Church International. And it just showed me, wow, what the church of Smyrna must go through to be persecuted and with all of these things. Persecution, by the way, it, it never meant during COVID, it never meant being asked to put on a mask or to be mildly uncomfortable in a social setting. Persecution means losing your life or losing your job or, or losing your family or losing your entire identity for the sake of the gospel. And so an enemy to corporate revival is fear of the temporal. We have to understand that persecution and tribulation many times are from God, and we must count it all joy. 
I pray to God that America never gets to the point that I had to sit with some of my brothers and sisters and, and listen to stories of how that they are regularly beaten and regularly thrown in jail and regularly risking their lives. But I will be very honest and stand flat-footed and tell all of you, if that's what it takes for revival in America, I'll pray it. I'll pray it. I will. Let's move on. Okay. Letter C. Compromising lifestyles. Compromising lifestyles. This was the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos. Compromising lifestyles. Guidelines and personal lifestyle issues do matter to God. They do. They do matter to God. This is why we emphasize separation from the world, sexual purity, and holiness in thought. If the church does not consecrate our lifestyle to him, he said in verse 16 that he would fight against them with the sword of his mouth. I'm not shifting or casting blame to anyone. I'm actually studying this right now, so I haven't arrived at a central thought or or, a, or just a statement. But I am truly wondering what influence or what crept into um, the 21st century church that that allowed us to freely live within the confines of leaving a church life in the building on Sundays and Wednesdays and doing whatever we want to do on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm not at the end of my study. I wish I could have arrived at the end of my study before this lesson. I'm not at the end of my study. But no matter how it was ushered into the North American church, no matter how it was ushered into our lives, we must fight against it. This is the exact thing that, the, that crippled the church of Pergamos. It did. Compromising lifestyles. Letter D, false doctrine. I want to take a pause. I don't see pastor in this room, which is great. I'd probably be sweating a little bit more. But I do want to say... I'm so glad for a pastor that does not even care. He does not even care. He will talk about false doctrine. He will warn us of false doctrine. He doesn't care the repercussions. He does This is, I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, we as New Life Fellowship will never be in, church, in danger of being the church of Thyatira. We will never be in danger of that as long as he keeps preaching and as long as whoever comes after him and as long as we all at our dinner tables keep refuting false doctrine. We have to do that. In order to hold fast to the doctrine, one must know the doctrine. This is why we emphasize teaching home Bible studies and studying the word. I talk to our students often. And I asked them, can you give me three scriptures on the oneness of God right now? It's about that right there. It's, it's about that quiet. But we're getting there. We're getting there because iron sharpens iron. We cannot fall prey and have this enemy of corporate revival creep into us. That's Thyatira. That was letter D. Letter E, dead spiritually. This is the church of Sardis. Dead spiritually. It said, thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. I would say this is borderline um, hypocrisy in the church. You know, it, it would be super sad. And just flat out, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, false advertisement for New Life Fellowship to be dead. 
It literally says life in the name. It says life on the sign. It would, it would be a travesty and a tragedy for New Life Fellowship to really, when people drive by, say, oh, New Dead Fellowship. Not going there. This is, but I'm, I'm being funny, but that's exactly what happened in the church of Sardis. It's exactly what happened. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. It's not enough to just know we must do. An involvement in worship, prayer, fasting, hearing the word, responding to the word, spreading the word. This is why we emphasize living our lives for him and not just having knowledge of him. Having knowledge of God is not enough. It's not enough. People that are very smart, that have a lot of knowledge about a lot of artifacts, you know what they do? They give tours of museums. There ain't nothing alive in a museum except for my desire to leave. Sorry to those of you that love museums. I can do it for about 30 minutes, but, but then I, I, I got to go do something. We will, we will, let me back up. We are in danger of turning this place into a museum. Pastor says it all the time. Of things that once were alive. Things that, oh, I remember when so-and-so used to do this. And I remember when God healed Chance Doherty and he took off, right? And I remember when, when all, and I remember, and, and that's, that's probably how it started with the, with the church of Sardis. Of, of I remember when, I remember when. It is important to be alive right now. It is important to worship from song number one instead of just waiting to song number three. It is an important discipline for us to get up and raise our hands and stomp our feet even when we don't feel like it because we must be alive. We must be alive. Amen. Letter F, I'm hurrying. Lack of love for others. Lack of love for others. Now, this is the church of Philadelphia. And for those of you that, that study Revelation, and you know that the church of Philadelphia is actually not a problem church. The church of Smyrna, not necessarily either. Um, the church of Philadelphia is actually one that we look at and we want to model after because they loved others so very much. The enemy, though, of corporate revival would be a lack of this kind of love. We're, we're looking at enemies of corporate revival. It would be a lack of this kind of love. There's a great quote by Oswald Chambers that I love. It says this, If we are devoted to the cause of humanity, we shall soon be crushed and brokenhearted. For we shall often meet with more ingratitude from men than we would from a dog. But if our motive is to love God... No ingratitude can hinder us from serving our fellow men. I, I don't have the scripture for media, so don't worry about it. I'm studying right now what it means to truly be a disciple of Christ. Every time that Jesus took a time out with the disciples and really talked to them about what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. It says several things, and, and I, I don't have time to get sidetracked on, on all of this. In Mark chapter 3, and this is something that's really wrecking me right now, it says that he ordained 12 to, that they would be with him, they would be with him, four requirements, they would be with him, that they would preach the gospel, and that doesn't just mean 12 men, that means if you're a disciple of Christ, you must preach the gospel, but that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. We are all called to preach the gospel. 
but first we have to be with him, preach the gospel, heal all manner of sickness, and cast out devils, okay? I'm really good at two of them, okay? Healing, I'm really working on. I'm working on exercising and stretching the gift of healing. I'm working on that in my life. Casting out devils, ooh, wow, you know, that's something that I never thought I would pray. Brother Foster, I never thought that I would pray, Lord, send me demon-possessed people so that I can exercise this. You know I'm praying it, and you know he's doing it. Y'all talk to me about a story I have about somebody on a plane. We'll talk about that later. I have a picture, too. It's great. Along these requirements, that's four requirements. But then later on in the book of Mark, I think, it's in the Gospels at the very least, it says... They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. I'll say this very humbly and please understand my heart and my spirit. It did not say they will know you are my disciples because of what you wear. What you wear is important. It's very, very important. I think we have a life group coming up about that. If you're, if you're wondering, why do women dress so odd around here? Sign up for that life group. It's coming up. What we wear is very important. It did not say, they will know you are my disciples by what church you go to. That's important. That's important. The doctrine that we have is important. It did not say, they will know you are my disciples by how much you give. Or how often you volunteer at the church, which those things are important. It did not say that. All of those things are very important. But that is not what the scripture said about how we will be known by other people. It's how we love other people. Because it's very, very easy to abide by a dress code and work for a company and do things that will get you hired at Chick-fil-A really fast. But it's very, very hard to love people. It's very, very hard to love people. And one of the reasons that the Church of Philadelphia was highlighted as a success in the eyes of God was because of its love for another. It's love for people. I venture to say that, that other than disunity, this is one of the biggest causes that we do not have personal or corporate revival. Because we do not love people. I will just take just a, a quick second to say, if you've never volunteered at the food pantry, that is available to you. I don't know the exact ins and outs of, of the clothes closet ministry that we have. If you would like to volunteer for that, that is available to you. That is, that is available to you. I don't know um, of the efforts that we have going on for a prison ministry right now. If you would like to, to do that, if you would like to um, partner with somebody and go and visit people in jail, that is available to you in order to love to love people. If you would like to start helping feed, clothe, uh, visit the sick, um, go on some hospital runs, brother, how to, that is available to you. Why am I saying Why am I saying all of this? Because in Matthew twenty five, it is explicit that we will not make it to heaven if we do not do these things. I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked. You didn't give me any clothes. I was sick. You didn't come visit me. I I, I just I, I I was in jail. You know you didn't you didn't come visit me. And then he turned away and he said, "Depart from me, you workers of iniquity." 
ye workers of iniquity. So, so yes, what I am saying, it is excellent that we are doing all of these things. But one of the biggest things that is keeping us from a personal and corporate revival and also maybe heaven is love. Is love. We have to do this. We have to get this right. We have to. Letter G. Lukewarm. Lukewarm. This is one of the biggest enemies to corporate revival. This was highlighting the church of Laodicea. The scripture says in uh, Revelation 3, 14 through 22. It, it, you don't have to put that up there. We, you, can, you can go and look at it later. It says, it says, because we are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Oh my. It is easy to lose our passion for him and for his will. We must constantly be reminded that we need to be continually convicted and passionately pursue his presence and his will for our personal lives and for the purpose of our local congregation. That scripture haunts me. Rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. I just, I just came from a place, and maybe it's just really fresh right now. I, just, I came from a place where we really had to be very strategic with where we met because I was, I was in a country that would be labeled access challenged. And we had to be very strategic even meeting in the basement and creating a space and staggering in and out so that it wouldn't just alert a ton of locals of what we were actually there to do. I've never felt the presence of God so strong in a room where it was just, it was just necessary. That, that was the only thing necessary right there was, was the gospel and us to touch the throne of God. And then I come to new life. And if I'm being honest, there are times after I come out of some of those countries where I have a little bit of whiplash Whenever I hear one of our elders say, glory! Because I love hearing it. But I was just in a place where you can't scream that. You can't, you can't yell that out. And what is so easy for me to do, and I'm being, I'm being so raw and transparent to all of you. What's so easy for me to do so many times is to come back and just fade in and not even take full advantage of the freedom that I have in this house. This scripture haunts me. It's an enemy of corporate revival. It haunts me, rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We do not have need of air conditioning. We have it. We do not have need of heat. We have it. We do not even have need of padded seats. We have it. We do not even have need of a restroom. We, we have those. We don't even have need of musicians, much less good musicians, much less the musicians that we have that are phenomenal. We have absolutely need of nothing. And that was the exact position that the church of Laodicea was sitting in. in rich and increased with goods. We're building a building. And by the grace of God, it's going to be finished soon. And we're going to be debt free in Jesus' name. We have need of nothing. We have need of nothing. 
Something that was interesting, though, about the church of Laodicea, why he said it was lukewarm and spit out of your mouth. And I know that that's not very ladylike to say, but it's the Bible. Why did it say that? I was with a missionary uh, a couple years ago, and we this scripture got brought up. And I was talking to him about it, and he said, hey, I went on a tour of the seven churches traveling. And I was just like, man, some people have all the luck. But he went on this tour of all these churches traveling, and he went to the place where Laodicea is, is, um, was technically presumed. And he was talking to the locals there, and he said that what they said was Laodicea was located at the base of a mountain with hot, hot water springs. But by the time that it flowed down, because it was so high up, it became lukewarm. And that's why, to, to get these people's attention, that's why the word lukewarm was used. You lukewarm people, you were so hot on top of the mountain. You were so on fire whenever you had your mountaintop experiences at the height of your revival. But you didn't know how to live in the valley. You, you, did, you didn't know how to have a happy medium in, in the valley. And therefore, you didn't have need of anything. You had no need to go up the mountain again. Lukewarm. So how do we experience corporate revival? We become aware of all of these enemies. Number two, we repent. We repent. Revelation 3 and 3 says, Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Charles Finney said this, Revival is a renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire to live in obedience to God. It is giving up one's will to God in deep, deep humility. How do we do this? We repent. We're not going to do this today after I'm finished, because personal revival has to come first before corporate revival. I'm encouraging you to do this in your home. I'm encouraging you to do this with your spouse, away from your spouse, in private, maybe in the morning time. Truly, truly ask God, God, empty me and fill me again with a desire of righteousness. Number three, pray. We all love this scripture. Second Chronicles 7 and 14 says this, If my people, which are called by my name, that's us. That's us. I'm called by the name of Jesus. We are called by the name of Jesus. Shall humble themselves. Humbling ourselves, that takes a lot of work. That takes a realization that we might be asleep. Humbling ourselves to awaken to a personal revival. Humble themselves and pray and seek my face. And turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. And will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. Gary Amaral said this, as a large fire begins with kindling of small twigs and branches, even so a large revival is preceded by the prayers of a few hidden, seemingly insignificant souls. The last quote that I'll read, and then I'll close. John Wesley, I'm studying him in one of my classes, a powerful, powerful evangelist. And in the Great Awakening. Give me 100 preachers. That's us. That's us. Who fear nothing but sin. And desire nothing but God. 
And I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. I feel to prophesy to this body right now. I felt this in prayer. I would, I would never say this amiss if, if, I'd, if I would not put my life on it. And I'm closing. I feel that there is a great revival that is available to us. A corporate revival that is available to us. And I'm prophesying to you in the Holy Ghost that it will start on Mission Sunday. The reason that it will start on Mission Sunday is because we have time between now and then to have a personal revival and then corporately, unified under the anointing of the Holy Ghost, we will give and we will do something bigger and greater than we've ever done and it will bleed into a corporate unified revival because of what we have done for others. I'm prophesying that to you in the Holy Ghost and I need someone to reach up and agree with me in Jesus' name. That's going to happen for this church. And that's not going to be the last revival that's going to happen for this church. But that will be the first immediately that we will see. If you believe that, will you stand with me and lift your hands and begin to just agree with that and pray, God, give me a personal revival. Give me a personal revival. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now. That every person under the sound of my voice, that you would visit in a unique way. Lord, none of us want to admit that we've done wrong sometimes. None of us like looking in the mirrors at our faults. And Lord, I'm sure that none of us want to really admit that we've been asleep in some areas. But God, baptize us with humility. Allow us to humble ourselves and look at you and say, God, wake me up. Wake me up. Give me the tools in my hands to fight against the enemies of, of personal and corporate revival. Lord, wake me up as an individual, Father. Awaken my, my spirit to prayer. Awaken my spirit to your word. God, I pray that you would convict us at work, at home, Lord, whenever we're seeing things on the news and media of new consecrations that we need to give to you, Almighty God. Lord, I speak the spirit of holy conviction to fall in this room right now in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus and father from this we join with your purpose right now and out of our mouths we claim a corporate revival for new life fellowship we claim a corporate revival for our youth for our children God for for our college and career God we claim it for life academy we claim it Lord for the food pantry we claim it God we claim new buses that will be able to go into this city and pick up new people. God, we claim finances to freely flow to us and from us in the name of Jesus. And God, I pray right now that you begin to just mold our hearts and speak to us in dreams or in the middle of the night. God, in the middle of our working days. God, in the middle of our dinners. Lord, the number that we are to give to Mission Sunday and we join with your purpose, Father for the sake of lost souls in this city. Give us a revival. In Jesus' name, amen.